Welcome to Sightseeing Japan, the podcast where we explore the land of underwater farms. I'm Paul Bresson. And I'm Jason Neeling. And today we're talking about ocean greenery, edible marine flora, the weed of the sea. I like that one. (laughs) (laughs) Thought you might. (laughs) Perhaps most commonly known as seaweed. We're talking about seaweed. So seaweed is a very common ingredient in Japan, of course. You see it in all sorts of foods, and it's delicious. Yeah, it's been an important part of people's diets in Japan for centuries. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Being an island country, there's a lot of seaweed around. Mm -hmm. Easy thing to grab and stick in your mouth and get some good nutrients, right? (laughs) Yep. Surprisingly nutrient-rich, at least compared to what I would have thought. Mm-hmm. So we should talk about the word seaweed because it's not a very precise term, right? No, it's a very loosely defined term. Yeah. There's not exactly a formal definition. And so that word seaweed can refer to any of thousands of species of very different types of macroscopic multicellular marine algae. Yeah. I guess the way I kind of interpret that is... If it's a plant in the ocean and it's big enough that you can see it, it's seaweed. Pretty much, yeah. And so around 1,500 of these species of seaweed can be found in Japan, and about 100 of those species are eaten. They are edible and used in all sorts of foods. 100, wow, that's so many. Mm -hmm. Like you, you think seaweed, okay, seaweed. It's not seaweed, it's 100 different kinds of seaweed. Mm Mm-hmm. That's so cool. Yeah. And I want to talk a little bit about the difference between algae and seaweed, too. Did you get into the specifics there much? Not too much. I mean, it seems like seaweed is algae. Yeah. I mean, you can dig really deep and get into all the technical scientific classifications and all that, you know. But the way I understood it is basically, it's like one of those square versus rectangle situations, right? All seaweed is algae, but not all algae is seaweed. Yeah. And so the word algae refers to pretty much any chlorophyll-containing organisms found in aquatic environments. So they can be unicellular or multicellular. Like anything green in the water that does photosynthesis is algae, right? But seaweed refers to a subset of algae made up of multicellular plant-like organisms that attach themselves to things, like rocks. Almost all types of seaweed attach themselves to things, but there are also some free-floating types. So Yeah, that is interesting, too, mm-hmm. that there are ones that just grow floating around. Mm-hmm. That's kind of cool. This is one of those episodes where, like, I've eaten a bit of seaweed, but, like, I never knew much about seaweed. I learned a lot of things that I wasn't expecting to, because you don't know what you don't know sometimes. Ditto. And, you know, I think for a lot of people, people that aren't used to eating seaweed, it just kind of sounds like a gross idea. Like, I remember when I was a kid, when I thought of the word seaweed, I thought about that stuff where you go to the beach, you're swimming around, and then something touches your leg, and you're like, <laughs> that's, that's just a terrible feeling. It's slimy, it's prickly, it's like gross. Yeah, and you don't want to think about eating that stuff. That's disgusting. 
but you know here we we only swam around with freshwater seaweed so it's kind of a different different category of seaweed yeah freshwater seaweed is not edible or it's not i don't even know if it's seaweed because it's not salt water definitely not the same type of stuff yeah that's and don't eat it. in japan don't eat it you can't you can eat the stuff out of lakes yeah yeah that's what we know around here <laughs> and it's gross mm-hmm. and it's just starting to get in all the lakes now pretty bad you can't go swimming anywhere without seaweed just everywhere yeah stuff is gross but we're gonna talk about the delicious kind of seaweed i got some fun seaweed facts that i stumbled upon over the last week or so hit me paul <laughs> did you know that kelp provides an essential nursery habitat for fish and other marine species that's cool that makes sense i imagine kelp forests right i mean fish fish need that kind of thing to hide in from other bigger fish that want to eat them yeah uh so when a kelp forest dies it has repercussions throughout the ecosystem Hmm. seaweed even has a big role in the greater environment as a whole because algae play a really vital role in capturing carbon and produce 50 percent of all our oxygen on earth it's coming from seaweed that's pretty amazing so if anything happens to the seaweed, we're in trouble. Like it, it plays a huge part in regulating our atmosphere. And that might have greater repercussions now that we understand that with global warming happening. There's ideas about like farming algae to help reduce carbon in the environment. I heard some weird idea that seemed odd to me, but it could work where they were going to farm algae. Then they were going to burn it for energy but then they were going to like capture the emissions from burning it in some carbon capture technology. I don't know if I believe all that stuff. I feel like people just want to burn carbon and then they're like, oh yeah, we got carbon capture technology and it never works as well as they say it is going to work. But I thought that was an interesting idea. I was like, or we could just grow the algae and like keep it alive. And then that's where the carbon is inside the algae and not in the atmosphere. Yeah. I'm not sure if we were looking at the same thing, but I I do remember seeing something about how they were going to like grow a bunch of algae, use that to capture the carbon, and then turn it into biofuel. Yeah, that's probably what it was. But then, you know, you burn the biofuel, you're releasing the carbon, but then they're like, oh, but we're going to capture that. And like, I don't know if we have the technology to do that. And then what do you do with that carbon? I guess you got a lunk of carbon. I guess that's not as bad as having like nuclear waste or something to deal with. Yeah. I'm no scientist. I don't know the what the byproducts of that would be. And all I know is we should do something. Someone should do something. We can agree on that. Someone <laughs> should do something. <laughs> all right. Uh, moving on. <laughs> Last fun fact. In Japan, over 600 square kilometers of coastal waters are used to produce 350,000 tons of nori every year worth a billion dollars wow and nori is a type of seaweed we'll talk more about later yeah it's a billion I, dollar nori industry that's a lot of money and a lot of space dedicated to it i saw actually even for a different type of seaweed not even for nori but i saw like an aerial view of some farms and it's just insane like it looks like these underwater fields just stretching out as far as the eye can see the ocean's big. You have so much space for stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. Yeah. 
So let's talk some seaweed history, Paul. Okay. I want to go back, probably further back than we've ever gone. Oh, let's do it. I want to go back three billion years. Oh. Because I was surprised to learn, although it kind of makes sense, that algae are the most primitive organisms on Earth. Like, they were around before the dinosaurs, before any multicellular organisms even. And scientists think that algae is basically one of the main things that allowed for the evolution of larger multicellular organisms. Which makes sense when you think about it, because algae, you know, you had like the first thing that could photosynthesize, basically. It can create energy using energy from the sun, yeah, and then I mean, it, it turns itself into food for everything else, you know? We were just talking about how even to this day, algae's providing 50% of Earth's oxygen. Mm -hmm. They were the first ones that created oxygen on Earth, probably, or one of the first. Yeah, so... You know, all the things that started to evolve in the oceans into, you know, more cells. <laughs> like, all, all those things were eating the algae, basically. It was the fuel for everything, for all of evolution. And even now, there are tons of organisms, even big, big things in the ocean that still, like, feed mostly on algae. Yeah. Crazy. That's, that's pretty cool. So none of us would exist if it weren't for algae, is my point. And we're still eating it today. Pretty cool. So how long has seaweed been eaten in Japan, Paul? It's hard to say exactly because seaweed decomposes pretty quickly. But they did find some plant remains of wakame seaweed dating all the way back to the Jamon period, which is like... Prehistoric times. Yeah, prehistoric times in Japan. Mm -hmm. So probably for about as long as people have been in Japan. Yeah. So we know they were already eating seaweed back in the Jamon period. What about in the Yoyoi period when they started farming rice in Japan? Well, I did see that nori, that type of seaweed that's used for sushi, that's been eaten in Japan since at least the 8th century when it was collected from shallow waters where it grew on rocks, shells, and wood, that kind of thing. They would just kind of scrape it up and eat it. <laughs> Yeah, actually, the Taiho Code, which was enacted in 701, included nori as something that was taxed. Mm. <laughs> so they're already taxing nori 1,300 years ago. Something you can just walk into the water and scrape up. Got to tax it yeah. already. Yeah, you know. Civilization you, was a mistake, Paul. If you eat it right away, they, they probably won't tax you. But <laughs> no, that tax man's going to run up. And go, I saw you pick up that seaweed. Spit it out. Spit it out or pay me. That neighbor you crossed is going to rat you out. <laughs> yeah. I saw him sneak out to the water in the middle of the night and pick up some seaweed and just start munching on it. <laughs> guy's a criminal. In Utsubo Monogatari, that was written around 987. Nori was already recognized as a common food in the text. So it wasn't just specific places here or there. It seemed to be pretty widespread. Around the 1300s is when kombu started being used for soup stocks. And that's a type of seaweed that we'll get into more in a bit. But this trend, using the, this type for soup, started in Buddhist monasteries because monks were eating all vegetarian meals. 
You know, you can't flavor your soup stock with fish and stuff, but seaweed does a pretty good job too. Yeah, I found that interesting that uh, the Buddhist vegetarian diets seem to help proliferate the eating of seaweed, getting certain nutrients that are pretty rare in other plants. And there's a bit of protein in seaweed too, if you're eating decent quantities, higher than you would think. Yeah, definitely. So I, yeah, I thought that was interesting, especially being a vegan myself. That was mm-hmm. a cool historical fact for me. So in the Edo period, which began in the 1600s, seaweed became widely available for the common people. And I saw that the nori growing in Edo Bay near Asakusa was considered especially delicious. Ooh. Yeah. So people began cultivating it on wooden poles that they erected in the shallow waters. Nice. And then they decided, hey, we can attach some nets to these poles to give, you know, to have even more area to collect this seaweed, I guess. And so business was good. They were, they were making a whole bunch of seaweed. But eventually, those waters in the bay became too warm and polluted. So there's not much nori grown in Tokyo Bay anymore. Mm, yeah. But I guess there are still a few spots where they grow it there. It's just super expensive now because there's not as much of it. You can get 72 sheets of this famous Asakusa Nori for $300. Wow. Isn't that crazy? That is pretty crazy. 72 sushi rolls, taking out the rice and the fish even, it's going to cost $300. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even convinced I would want something grown in Tokyo Bay. I mean, supposedly it's still really delicious, but yeah, why not get it elsewhere? (laughs) Right. So let's get into nori a little bit here, because for hundreds of years, you know, we said that they started eating nori way before this, but up until around this time, the nori was still kind of a wet paste when they ate it. They weren't making it into those sheets for sushi rolls. Yeah. Algae paste. Mm Mm-hmm. Sounds delicious, right? Yeah. So that dry sheet form of seaweed that we see these days used for sushi, that type of thing, wasn't invented until the early 18th century when people borrowed techniques from paper making to start making seaweed paper, basically. It's the same kind of idea. Chop up the seaweed, you lay it flat, press it, let it dry. Yeah, that is interesting. They're like, why don't we just try that with seaweed and then eat it? (laughs) It was a good idea. Yeah, yeah, it's so cool. And, you know... Now we have sushi rolls. So thank you for whoever came up with that idea. Thank you, paper makers. So after World War II, the Japanese nori industry was in decline. And this was a time when Japan needed all the food that they could get. The industries were ravaged. It was hard to feed everybody after the war. So the decline in the industry was due to a lack of understanding of nori's life cycle and the best way to farm it. But there happened to be a British scientist named Kathleen Mary Drew Baker who had been researching an organism which grew around in the seas of whales and was harvested for food, kind of similar to how nori was in Japan. And she published a research in 1949, and it was noticed by Japanese scientists who learned about cultivation and uh, used it to cultivate nori to a much greater extent in Japan. Yeah, so she discovered that nori had three distinct life stages. And in one of those stages, it grows on things like oyster shells. So basically, 
the result of her research was that people were able to start using oyster shells to seed nori farms. So there's actually a monument to Kathleen Mary Drew Baker at Sumiyoshi Shrine in Uto City in Kumamoto, and she's honored there every April 14th as the Mother of the Sea. <laughs> that's, that's a cool nickname. Yeah. The Mother of the Sea. That's awesome. It is. So here's a crazy fact for you, Paul. All right. A crazy and fun fact. Okay. In 2010, scientists found evidence that Japanese people are better than everybody else at getting nutrients from nori. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. The idea is they have a gut bacteria that produces an enzyme that can break down the carbohydrates in nori. And they think that it's because there are marine bacteria that produce similar enzymes. And since Japanese people eat so much seaweed, it's so common in their cuisine, that they ingested that marine bacteria and then it transferred the genes for making that enzyme to the human gut bacteria. Isn't that cool? That's awesome. So the more seaweed you eat, the more nutrients you get from seaweed. Yeah. That's awesome. It's like a feedback loop. I got to eat more seaweed. So now I'm getting to pretty recent info here. I got some stuff from 2018. These days, of course, seaweed is farmed around the world. And in 2018, over 2 million metric tons of seaweed were produced. And almost all of it was produced by 10 countries. Mm -hmm. So apparently seaweed is eaten in Southwest England, Ireland, Wales, and Scotland, which I was surprised to learn. Mm -hmm. And seaweed is not only produced for food either. It's also produced to feed to cattle. It's used for fertilizers. It's also processed to extract chemicals like carrageenan. Maybe you've seen that on some uh, ingredients labels or something. That's a gelling agent that's used in things from beer to processed meats to vegan hot dogs, Paul. <laughs> uh, they use it in toothpaste, firefighting, foam, shampoo, cosmetics, shoe polish, personal lubricants. <laughs> Interesting. We really do owe everything to algae. Wow. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And Paul, you mentioned in the intro, I think, that seaweed might even help us save ourselves from climate change because it absorbs carbon dioxide. Yep. So basically, my point is, seaweed is great, and we all owe our lives to it. Thank you, seaweed. And our beautiful flowing locks. Because the shampoo. <laughs> seaweed shampoo. All right. Mm-hmm. You ready to talk about the types of seaweed, Paul? Yeah, there are more types of seaweed than I ever realized. Yeah, there were a couple of these that I hadn't heard of. So I was thinking we'd start with maybe the more common ones. That makes sense. Okay. Paul, what is the most common type of seaweed in Japan? Uh, I, I gotta say probably wakame. That's what I saw, yeah. Because this is the type that you often find in miso soup. Right, Very and popular. that's so prolific. Yeah. So it's green, it's sweet, it's a little bit rubbery, kind of, right? Yeah. The scientific name for wakame is, I'm not good at Latin, but Undaria pinatifida. Okay. It, it's a species of kelp. It's native to the cold, temperate coastal areas of the Northwest Pacific, 
but it's actually spread around the world and is now considered one of the 100 worst invasive species in the world. Yeah, you gotta be careful. Mm-hmm. Can really mess up ecosystems spreading that stuff around. Yeah, I've heard they found it in places in the West Coast, USA. Mm. That's a long trip from Japan, but... For real. It happened. So, Paul, what's wakame going to look like if you buy it in the store? Um, it's usually sold in a dry form. So, it's dried, dried out seaweed. <laughs> I have a bag in the kitchen, actually. What I love about this stuff is, like, you buy a bag of it, and it's just these little, itty-bitty little, like, curls of seaweed. They're so tiny. But then you throw them in water, and they absorb all that water, and they just open up. And it's like this one little tiny piece of seaweed that was like a quarter inch long when it was dried is now like an inch and a half square little sheet of seaweed. Yeah. It's amazing how much it expands. Yeah. You can also get wakame fresh some places. Interesting. Probably not many places in Midwestern USA, but (laughs) it's out there. And another thing that this type of seaweed is often used for is seaweed salad which you may have seen at sushi places in Europe or in the U.S. Did you read anything about seaweed salad, Paul? Goma wakame translates as sesame seaweed because they use sesame seeds in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've definitely had it. Yeah. Like if you've been to a sushi restaurant in the Western world, there's a good chance you've seen it or had it. Mm-hmm. It's good. I like it. Funny thing about that, though, is that it's not Japanese at all. No, it's, yeah, it's not in Japan. It's not entirely clear where the dish came from, but I saw that most likely it came from Japanese restaurants in Europe. Okay. But you're not likely to come across that in Japan. Yeah, they do put wakame with salads sometimes, like a tofu salad I saw, but uh, not the same as as, uh, the goma wakame. Yeah, and if you get that seaweed salad at a sushi restaurant... It's like very standardized. Like no matter where you go, it's going to taste the same. It's almost like there's one supplier that sends it out to all the restaurants, you know? (laughs) Man, I hope they're making it there, but you never know. I doubt it. Yeah. So I'd say we got to talk about nori, right? We've already talked about nori a lot without describing it too much. Mm -hmm. Very recognizable. This is actually the most consumed Japanese seaweed around the world because, you know, sushi is so popular everywhere. Right, And this is also the same type of seaweed that is referred to as laver. Laver or laver, I saw it can be pronounced. Yeah, I saw that too. And so if you've ever seen those little seaweed snack packs, that's what's in those, this laver stuff. You've had those, right, Paul? Yep. Delicious, right? Definitely. Pretty good. Kind of oily and salty and crispy. Mm -hmm. They're tasty. They go well with a bowl of rice. Yeah. I found them actually not too long ago. I got a big pack of that stuff that was seasoned with wasabi. That sounds good. It was delicious. Oh, I I want some like wasabi almonds now. I want some wasabi anything right now. I have some wasabi almonds in the kitchen, Paul. I also have wasabi peas. What? As soon as we're done recording, you can dig in. Double wasabi? Yeah. Nice. Well, that wraps up the episode, guys. (laughs) Thanks for listening. (laughs) See you next time. (laughs) Did we mention that nori is a red algae? I don't think so. I was going to get to the uh, 
the technical stuff. That's my technical note. Okay. <laughs> I have the genus. Nori is actually made from different multiple different species. But all those species are from the genus Pyropia. Okay. I like that name. Pyropia. Yeah. Fun one. So it's a thin, leafy type of seaweed that, as I mentioned earlier, gets harvested on nets suspended at the surface of the water. And I think I actually saw these nets when I was in Okinawa on my last trip. Like I, I was just walking along the beach and there were some nets on poles like right above the water. I'm like, what yeah. is that? And I, I went up there and like looked closely at it and I'm like, I have no idea why those nets are there. But Seaweed seems to be pretty popular in Okinawa. Oh, yeah. We'll get to that, I think, in a little bit here. Yeah. Uh, so it used to be hand harvested from rocks on the coast when the tide was low. As I mentioned, they would just... Yeah, know, just run out just, there, grab handfuls. Yeah. But these days, most of it is farmed on nets like that. And then they rinse it in fresh water. They mince it up. And I guess I already mentioned this, too. They press it into those sheets, and you got some seaweed paper. Yeah. So one piece of nori, one sheet... If you buy it in the store, is actually made up of a bunch of little tiny pieces of seaweed. Pretty yep. cool. Yep. Uh, so what else can you use nori for, Paul? Where else would you see that in Japanese cuisine? Uh, wrapping rice balls. It's going to be nori. Um, and it's used as a topping for various like noodle dishes and things. There might just be some shredded nori. Yeah. Or like if you buy, uh, if you get a bowl of ramen, they might yeah. have a square of ramen just tucked in there. Square of nori mm -hmm. wait what did i say square of robin <laughs> that would be weird <laughs> square of nori thank you um nori can also be flavored and seasoned in different ways i mentioned I, there's that uh wasabi flavor stuff i found but in japan you might find something called ajitsuke nori which is these seasoned strips of nori that you can just snack on they have like teriyaki flavored nori. That sounds good. Yeah. There's nori tsukudani. This is good. And you can make this really easily if you have the sheets of nori too. Basically, you just take small pieces of nori. So if you have a big sheet, you can just tear it up into little pieces. And then you season it with soy sauce, mirin, and sugar. And it kind of basically turns into a sort of paste, almost like the stuff they would have eaten before they were pressing it into sheets. And you can just stick that on top of a bowl of rice. And there you go. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I tried making that one time. It's pretty good. Okay. Um, you might also see kizami nori. This is, I mean, it's basically it's the same type of thing as the sheets, except they just cut it into little short strips. So you can kind of sprinkle that on top of things like soba noodles or rice bowls or whatever. Uh, my fiance and I like to use that type in our instant ramen, just toss some of that in there and... Class it up a little bit, you know? <laughs> Class up the instant ramen? I like that, yeah. I have a lot of techniques for classing up instant ramen. Got to get those soft-boiled eggs in there. Got to throw in some uh, white pepper and garlic and green onions. I, I could go on. but So, Paul, have you heard of something called aonori? No. Uh, so, have you gotten yakisoba in Japan ever? Yes. You know how there's like these really fine little, it's almost like a powdered nori that they sprinkle on top of the noodles. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, that's what that is? That's aonori. You can also find it on takoyaki or okonomiyaki. Okay. It's used just as a little garnish to sprinkle on top of a lot of different things. 
But even though this stuff has nori in the name, it's actually made from a different type of seaweed. What? It's not nori. How confusing. I know. This type is made from monostroma and enteromorpha, if that means anything to you. Uh, nope, nothing. Already forgot what you just said. All you need to know is this is a different type of seaweed. <laughs> okay. Uh, and if you see nori shio chips, I know we've talked about those before. Those are really tasty, right? Yeah. Those are flavored with aonori and salt. So when, when you see oh, okay. the nori shio, it's not the same type of nori as the sushi nori. Okay. And, you know, nori is just more popular, so slap yeah. that name on it. Got one more fun fact about nori. Okay. And it has to do with Himeji Castle. Okay. Himeji Castle is made of seaweed. <laughs> ah, yes, yes. You did hear about this? I, I, yeah. I didn't know Himeji specifically, but yes. Mm, okay. Well, um, for those of our listeners that might not be familiar with Himeji Castle, it's considered to be the most beautiful castle in Japan. It's by many. Yeah, it's got these white plaster walls, and that plaster is actually made with a type of nori called funori. And when you take this seaweed and you boil it, it turns into this sticky goop, and then they mix in lime and clay, and then that resulting mixture is what they cover the walls of the castle with. That's what makes it all white and beautiful. Yeah. He was in so many things. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, which seaweed should we talk about next? Next on my list is kombu. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Kombu is used pretty extensively in Japanese cuisine. Probably most famously, it's one of the three main ingredients to make dashi, a soup stock that's very widely used. Yeah, that's one of the main ingredients in miso soup. You got to start with that dashi. And, you know, a lot of times dashi is made with types of fish. But if you want a vegetarian miso soup, you can just use kombu instead. And it adds that umami flavor in the same way that the fish does. I'm quite fond of it. It never occurred to me before, but miso soup is actually made with two different types of seaweed. You got the kombu for the broth, and then you got the wakame that you're actually eating yeah in the soup yeah there's chunks of seaweed and the whole thing's infused with seaweed Mm -hmm. that's what makes it so delicious and uh, it's actually the glutamic acid in the kombu that gives the soup stock that umami flavor Mm. and i was surprised to learn there are more than 20 species of kombu and each one has its own unique taste and flavor so you could be a kombu connoisseur and choose your preferred kombu to make your soup stock with interesting yeah nice that really allows for a lot of playing around with flavors trying mm-hmm. to get just the combo you want mm-hmm. kombu is also enjoyed in nabe sometimes hot pot and it's sometimes pickled with a sweet and sour flavoring and cut into small strips that sounds interesting. Sweet and sour seaweed. Sweet and sour. I wonder if that's referring to tsukudani. Like I, I talked about how the nori, you can mix it with the soy sauce and mirin and stuff to make tsukudani. Yeah. You can basically do the same type of thing with kombu. And I've done this actually. If you use like a strip of kombu to make your dashi for miso soup, then you take it out because you're just like flavoring the broth with it. You take it out of the broth, but then you can just slice it up into strips and then make it into tsukudani and eat it that way like on top of rice yeah 
I heard it's paired with green tea often as a little snack. Mm. So kombu is a type of kelp, we should specify. So it's kind of like thick and leathery, and it's thicker than the wakame, which we also said is a type of kelp, right? Yeah, do we ever describe kelp? Kelp's just big, thin leaves, but they're kind of like stay the same thickness the whole way up, right? Yeah, kelp can get super big. It's a really big form of seaweed. Yeah. Kelp grows rooted to the ocean floor, and I saw that it can grow up to 65 meters long, Paul. 65 meters. That's 213 feet long. That's so long. Yeah, they gather it by going out in boats, and then they have these long poles with hooks on them. They just hook the kelp and pull it up. The yeah, boat. they wrap around the hook a few times and yank it up, and they got it. Mm-hmm. And it'll just regrow because the part at the bottom will stay stuck usually. That's cool. So you said kombu is often eaten with tea, but you can actually also make kombu into tea. What? It's everywhere, Paul. The seaweed is everywhere, everywhere, yeah, everywhere for everything. So they call this kombucha, kombu tea. Not to be confused with that fermented tea stuff, kombucha. Yes. You know, different thing. Same, different. same name, different thing. I also saw that you can add strips of kombu to dried beans. And then when you cook them, it's supposed to help tenderize the beans and reduce their gas producing properties. <laughs> I saw that. I'm a huge bean fan. So I was like, what? <laughs> Wait, what? Need those gas or need, need to reduce those gas-producing properties, right? No, 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 I'm fine, but if I could eat a ton of beans and it would be like a little bit easier to digest, that wouldn't be a bad thing. Sure. What seaweed do you want to talk about next, Paul? Let's talk about agar agar. Agar agar? Uh, agar agar? Agar agar? <laughs> Who knows how to pronounce that? I've heard a lot of different ways of saying it. Yeah, I first saw it and I was like, agar? <laughs> I'm not sure. Well, that's another thing. I saw sometimes people would just say agar once or they can say it twice, agar, agar. True, true. I saw that too. Let's just call it content. That's the Japanese. Content? Yeah. Okay. So what is content or agar, agar? It's a jelly-like substance obtained from red algae. Yeah, the red algae is called tengusa in Japan. And basically, yeah, the, the stuff that you extract from it can kind of be used as a substitute for gelatin. It has the same type of, does the same type of thing. Yep. We don't need gelatin, guys. We can stop making gelatin. We're stop grinding up horses. We can replace it. Yep. Yep. I don't think I knew until, I don't know. I don't know if it was you or one of my other friends became vegan. I didn't realize that gelatin came from animals. I didn't until I went vegan either. Then you got to learn these things. How does it work exactly? I All I know is they they take like bones and everything. They just like grind it up and somehow gelatin. Delicious. <laughs> it might be like from the marrow or something. I don't really know. I don't really understand. Hmm. Well, anyway, so yeah, the stuff that you get from seaweed, it's got a neutral flavor. You can jellify all sorts of things. Just yeah, like used gelatin. in a lot of desserts. Yeah. Creme caramel, custard, cakes. You can see it in all sorts of recipes. It's used for so many things. And so many things. Like, it can be used as a laxative. 
It can also be used as an appetite suppressant. This one blew my mind the most. It can be used to contain culture for microbiological work. Oh, like in a Petri dish. Yeah. There's like a gelatin kind of thing in there, right? That they grow Yeah, I think like on. they grow things on it. And then once the things are big enough, then they have a big enough sample and they can like test it or get DNA or whatever. Wow, I didn't realize that was what that was. Sometimes apparently it is. Cool. Is that so cool? Like what? Yeah. <laughs> I guess we like it. Bacteria likes it. Everyone likes it. It's, it's good stuff. It's just like raw energy. Apparently there's an ice cream too. I don't know if you've ever come across. It for like texture, I bet. Agar, agar ice cream. Hmm. You know, actually, Paul, I've never like sought out vegan ice cream or anything, but since we moved, we lived near this, you know, health food kind of store. Yeah. And my fiance picked up some vegan ice cream that's made with like almond milk, I think. Yeah. It was really good. Dude, it vegan had, ice cream's great. It had cashews in it and like mm. frozen cashews somehow. They, I just love the texture of them. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. I get this one that's uh, caramel and cashews. Mm. So good. I wonder if that was the one that I got or that we got. Maybe. It was Maybe. It's good. So, boba. Uh-huh. Agar jelly is used to make boba. Really? Yes. I mean. I didn't know that. Is that, is that all boba? Because I, I always thought it was tapioca. It is tapioca. I think they use both, but I couldn't like find anywhere that said to for sure make it this way everywhere. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's how they get it so like jelly-like, mm-hmm. you know? Makes like, sense. Like tapioca, the they make like vegan cheeses out of it and stuff. So you could make like that type of substance out of it. But I think that the agar agar is how they get it so jelly. Well, now that I think of it, what exactly is tapioca? It's a root. I think it's made from cassava root. Oh. Okay. That's cool. Yeah, so boba tea, I guess is vegan, as long as you don't get the milk in it, or some other non-vegan thing. Find seaweed in the most unexpected places. (laughs) Right? (laughs) You've all been eating seaweed all along, and you never even knew it. Yeah. Next Next time we go get boba. Let's go get some seaweed, bro. Let's get those delicious, chewy seaweed balls. <laughs> what, uh, what seaweed we got next, Jason? Next on my list is hijiki. What's hijiki? It is a black, brownish seaweed known for its subtle, earthy, nutty flavor. Ooh. And what I thought was interesting about this is there's an old belief in Japan that eating hijiki can give you black, lustrous hair. Okay. And and there might actually be something to that. Really? Because this type of seaweed has a ton of calcium, which is important for hair growth. And, you know, milk was never really a big thing in Japan. So this was kind of a way to get a lot of calcium if you're not drinking a bunch of milk. Nice. How do vegan people get calcium? Vegetables. Are there vegetables that have a lot of calcium? Oh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, calcium's not a concern. I guess it was just the milk industry that was pushing that hole. You got to drink a bunch of milk. Make your bones all sturdy. Yeah, they push that pretty hard. Yeah. But, you know, it depends what you're eating. If you're eating a lot of vegetables, you're going to get almost everything you need. Mm. Uh, hijiki is often simmered with sugar, soy sauce, and other seasonings. 
and then served with fried tofu and carrots in a salad. Yeah, I saw that. It looks so good. Like, I really want to try that. I feel like I might have had that. It looked really familiar. I like when they do those really thin strips of fried tofu. I like yeah. that. Like, I like that texture. And then, like, it's carrots meat, like... and the sauce and then a little bit of seaweed. Like, ah, it just sounds like the perfect combo. It does. We should make that some night or something. Yeah. I don't know if we can get some hijiki. I was wondering maybe that, too. The, maybe one of these local bars. Maybe, maybe we take a little trip to United. We might be able to get it. Maybe. I feel like mostly what you see there is nori and wakame. Hmm. But, I don't know. Now that we've done all our research, we should we should take a look and see what else they might have. Yeah, maybe they got some hijiki that someone slapped a nori sticker on so people <laughs> would buy it. <laughs> sure. Next one I have is uh, is called Mozuku. Ah, is this one of those uh, Okinawan uh, seaweeds? That's right. Produced mainly in Okinawa. And uh, this is the one that I said I saw that, that video where they had the long, where they had these huge farms stretching out into the distance, you know? Okay. Because the way that they farm this stuff is pretty cool. They have nets, like similar to Nori, except these nets are on the sea floor. Like this stuff doesn't grow right at the surface. It grows down at the bottom. And once the nets grow all this seaweed on them, the way that they harvest it is really fun. Did you see any videos of this? No. They swim down there in diving suits and they have a giant vacuum that's hooked up to the boat up above and they just vacuum it (laughs) off the nets. It's awesome. That's hilarious. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. That's, That's... One way to do it. Mm -hmm. So this is a brown seaweed that contains very high levels of fucoidan, which is a sulfated polysaccharide that apparently has been shown to be extremely good at suppressing tumors. Really? Yeah. Okay. And about a quarter of the weight of this seaweed is that fucoidan stuff. So it has way more than other types of seaweed. Wow. And scientists think this could be one of the reasons that Japanese people, especially Okinawans, have the highest life expectancy on the planet. Okay. It could be because of this seaweed. We're all going to eat more seaweed, man. Yeah, for real. I've heard uh, Mozuku described as slightly slimy with thin leaves, like lots of little thin leaves. Mm. So I was actually served some of this when I was in Okinawa. I went to a place where I got some real high-quality beef. You gained like two weeks on your life. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, they just served like this little bowl of it along with my beef, and it was tasty. It was like mixed with seasoned vinegar, which I think is kind of the standard way of preparing it. Yeah. And it had you you could definitely call it slimy. That was kind of one of the words I would use to describe it. Uh, It's a little bit gelatinous. Kind of like these little slippery noodles in sauce, basically. That's what it was okay. like. Although I also saw in my research that you can actually get that tempura style. What? Yeah, they just like grab a handful of it, cover it in tempura <laughs> batter, throw it in the oil. Sounds good. That sounds great. I mean, anything is good. All, yeah, tempura, right. Give me any tempura. You could tempura a shoe and it would be delicious. I'd at least try it. <laughs> Well, I mean, we should probably talk about the other Okinawan specialty, umi budo, budo, 
aka sea grapes <laughs> sea grapes i love that name it's a perfect name for them too <laughs> they mean, look like little itty bitty grapes yeah it's exa- it looks exactly what you think sea grapes would look like mm-hmm. this stuff was so cool and i hadn't heard about this before i went to okinawa and then i was like at a restaurant and this guy next to me was eating it and i'm like what is that <laughs> i need to eat that each little ball has a soft skin and then when you bite it, it releases a salty liquid inside. Yeah. But they're like, they're not like, I mean, that skin is super delicate. Like, it's not like you bite into it and then boom, there's like an explosion of juice in your mouth. They're, they're pretty soft and like, you know what I mean? They're not hard to like pop or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like, let me try to describe it. They're like these little strings covered in little green balls. So it's almost, I mean, they really look like bundles of grapes, except all green and really tiny. Yeah. Unfortunately, quite difficult to find outside of Okinawa. Mm -hmm. Although you can actually bring them home. I remember at the Okinawa airport, they had like little containers of them in the airport that you could buy and and bring home. Apparently they last for a while at room temperature. That's cool. Yeah. So the way that they're served is in ponzu sauce, which is kind of a citrusy, soy saucy sauce. And you just dip the sea grapes in there, and it's tasty. Funnest part is the texture, though, really. Just have fun yeah. have, popping all these little balls. It seems like a fun thing to eat. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the health benefits of seaweed. We've alluded to a lot of it as we've gone through the podcast today. But we got a few more notes about health benefits here. There are a lot of health benefits. Yeah. healthy stuff. One thing to note is like there's so many different kinds of seaweed too. It's hard to always say when you're throwing numbers around. It's a lot of generalities. Like generally seaweed's got this and this, but everyone's got different numbers of everything. Right. But in a hundred gram reference amount, seaweed is considered a rich source, which means 20% or more of your daily value of vitamins A and C and riboflavin and folate. So that's a lot of good stuff there. Yeah. Uh, Especially stuff that keeps you healthy, like vitamin A and vitamin C. Very good things, especially through the winter and whatnot, to help keep you healthy. Yeah. You'll also find vitamin K, zinc, calcium, as I mentioned, and a bunch of antioxidants that help protect your cells from free radicals. And you can get some iron, too. Which can be hard to get sometimes. Seaweed contains iodine and tyrosine, which support thyroid function. I feel like it's hard to understate how important it is to have an iodine source. You know, now we can just go get iodized salt from the grocery store and like we're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. But it's a super essential nutrient for us. And sometimes you just can't get it and people get sick. Is that the thing that you start growing goiters if you don't get enough of it? I'm not sure. I just remember it being nasty. Like, you don't want to not get enough iodine. Yeah. So, your thyroid gland produces hormones that regulate the body's metabolic rate, controlling heart, muscle, and digestive function, brain development, and bone maintenance. So, I guess iodine is good for all that stuff. Okay. It sounds important. Yeah. And uh, kombu is one of the best sources of iodine. Just 3.5 grams of dried kelp contains around 60 times 
the recommended daily intake of iodine. That's great. Seaweed has fiber and polysaccharides that help keep your gut healthy. Mm -hmm. Fiber makes up 25 to 75% of the weight of dried seaweed, which means it actually has a higher fiber content than most fruits and vegetables. Yeah, very fibrous. I think I mentioned earlier, it can be a pretty good source of protein if you eat a lot of it. Seaweed can help you lose weight. That fiber helps you feel fuller for longer. Uh, I saw that seaweed is actually used in some diet pills because the idea is, remember how I was, I was talking about how the dried wakame expands so much when you put it in water? Yeah. Same idea with the diet pills. They put seaweed in there that expands in your stomach to make you feel fuller so you don't overeat. <laughs> what? Yeah. That's how diet pills work? I mean, that's one of There's the one of things, them? I guess. That's hilarious. It's like, I feel like those little pills we got as kids, you run them underwater and they like turn into dinosaurs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you swallow a little Just pill. eat a bunch of those. Poop, a little dinosaur <laughs> in your stomach. Now I feel full. <laughs> Pretty much the same thing. Interesting. So I got a note uh, as a vegan, the only nutrient that's really hard to get as a vegan is B12. I've heard that. So I got to take a supplement for that. It's important to nervous system health. So there was a study in 2014 that said that nori contains, well, nori, nori does contain vitamin B12. And this paper in 2014 argued that it was in sufficient quantities to give a person enough of their daily dosage by eating nori. How much do you have to eat? Uh, I don't even know what this unit thing means, honestly. <laughs> what, what a... What unit? <laughs> it's like a U, but the front end's really long, and then it's a G. Micrograms? Yeah, it might be micrograms. 77.6 micrograms per 100 grams of dry nori, at least. So I don't know what the requirement is, but that meets the requirement. So 100 grams of nori would theoretically get you there. 100 grams. But then a 2017 study came out after all the vegans were all happy. Like, yeah, all right, we can just eat seaweed, guys. Hey. And it popped their bubble. <laughs> yeah. It said that the vitamin B12 may be destroyed during the me metabolic process. Oh. It's hard to digest it, apparently, coming from nori. Um, and it becomes inactive. And there was a, another study that came out that said nori is not an adequate source of B12 for humans, but that's pretty vague, you know, not adequate. Does that mean you're not getting hardly anything from it or you're getting some, but like you can't just rely on that. But nu nutrition itself is like such a difficult thing. Ugh, that stuff changes all the time. Like yeah. they're finding new, new things out every year. Every person can kind of like, I feel like digest things a little bit differently and then you've got the so many other factors they're so hard to control for. Like, what about everything else the person's eating? Mm -hmm. What about other all other sorts of factors in their life from stress and sleeping and health and exercise? Like, how do you control for everything to like really understand what's going down in someone's metabolic system? Yeah, it's tough. So there is vitamin B12 in seaweed, and it's possible that we digest a decent quantity of it but don't count on it okay so to all the vegans out there keep taking those supplements right <laughs> so yeah i basically just spent five minutes saying we don't know guys <laughs> <laughs> 
I saw that seaweed can reduce the risk of heart disease. Okay. It can help reduce blood cholesterol levels. It can help prevent blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, no one wants the blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it can prevent blood from clotting. Uh, there's a substance in seaweed called fucoxanthin, which studies have shown may help reduce body fat and blood sugar levels. Fucoxanthin? That, uh, that name sounds funny to me because like fuco sounds very Japanese and then it's like xanthin. And I'm like, where did that name come from? One of those crazy science-y words. Yeah. Uh, who knows? Okay. But Paul, there is such thing as too much of a good thing, right? Oh, yeah. All right. Don't eat too much seaweed? Yeah, you want to keep your seaweed intake at a reasonable level. I mean, most people are, you know, probably not eating enough seaweed to be at risk of anything, but too much iodine can actually negatively affect your thyroid function. Mm, I have heard that. And some types of seaweed can contain high levels of heavy metals like cadmium, mercury, and lead, which can build up in your body over time. Yeah, it seems like almost anything from the ocean. You have to be a little wary of eating too much of it for that reason. I guess so. So there is organic seaweed out there that you can buy that is less likely to have a bunch of that stuff. Nice. But either way, I mean, it sounds like the heavy metal content isn't really considered a health risk. Like you'd need to eat pounds of seaweed every day for it to be a problem, probably. See a huge seaweed salad for breakfast. Yeah. (laughs) I want to live forever. Just give me all the seaweed. (laughs) So as long as you're not making seaweed like the main dish of every meal every day, you're probably going to be fine. Okay, good. All right, now we know so much about seaweed, let's eat it. So where are we going to go in Japan to get our seaweed, man? Everywhere. I mean, walk into a kombini, look around, there's going to be a lot of different seaweed. It's going to be in every aisle in different forms. You're going to find some rice crackers wrapped in seaweed. You're going to find a bunch of, you know, rice balls wrapped in seaweed. You're going to find a bunch of sushi wrapped in seaweed. You're going to find... You get some miso soup, you're eating seaweed two ways. Yeah. Did you know there's seaweed seaweed specialty stores? There's a store you can go to that's just got all the seaweeds. I need to go there. (laughs) Yeah. Do you have a a name of one or something? No, but I'm sure we could find one. Yeah. I feel like next time I go to Tokyo, because, you know, Tokyo's got everything. Yep. I need to check out like a seaweed store, a miso store, a soy sauce store, a wasabi store. We should just go to all the farms that like make this stuff Mm -hmm. and just get it right there, right from the source and just die happy. Yeah. And then when people, you know, when we come back to America and people are like, oh, this sushi is so good, we can be like, you don't even know, man. You, if you haven't eaten wasabi from the wasabi field, you just don't know what you're talking about. I walked over to the beach. I pulled the nori out of the out of the water, and then and then I picked the the wasabi. I scraped the seaweed off the rock with my teeth. You don't know. You don't know seaweed until you've done that. And we could all be seaweed snobs. Yeah. So let's say you're not in Japan. Where can you get seaweed if that is the case? I mean, in the U.S., in any decent-sized city, you'll probably find an Asian market that will definitely have some seaweed for you. Mm -hmm. Even in normal grocery stores, though, I feel like these days a lot of them will at the very least have some nori because seaweed is just real popular. Yeah, There might be an international aisle or whatever that has that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. 
Um, I heard that Whole Foods carries some seaweed now. Okay. Not sure which types. And uh, But since most of these types of seaweed are available dried, you can actually find seaweed on Amazon even. Oh, yeah, definitely. Right, it's dried. You can order it anywhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you should check it out. Or just go to a Japanese restaurant. That works too. Yeah, you'll, you'll get some seaweed. Mm-hmm. Got anything else about seaweed, Paul? I think that's it. All right. I'm a seaweed snob now. It's official. Yep. Now, next time you're at a sushi restaurant, you can tell everybody all the amazing facts about seaweed and how we are all made of seaweed and seaweed lets you live for a very long time. Did you know that seaweed salad you're eating is not even Japanese? (laughs) Pathetic. (laughs) Still delicious. So uh, you got any pictures of those uh, sea grapes? Definitely. I'll definitely be posting some of those on our Instagram. We are at SJP Podcast. You can also find everything I post on Instagram also gets posted to our Facebook. Facebook.com slash Sightseeing Japan Podcast. I'd also like to throw out a shout out to all of our listeners that have left a review whether that be on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or anything like that. Um, Also to all of our listeners that have commented on our website or reached out on Instagram. It's always great hearing from you guys, and we appreciate it. Paul, what are we talking about next time? On the next episode, we're going to do a deep dive into Sensoji, the oldest Buddhist temple in Tokyo. Nice. And one of the very most popular tourist attractions in Tokyo. I've been there. I have too. So we'll have a lot to say. Yes. Well, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.